This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the MathEd Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and my guest today is uh, Beth Herbel Eisenman, who's an associate professor in the Department of Teacher Education at Michigan State University. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be talking about an article that Beth has forthcoming in the, the new journal, Mathematics Teacher Educator. Um, the article is entitled, Developing Teacher Discourse Moves, a Framework for Professional Development. Um, but I just wanted to start um, by giving some background to our listeners about um, your dissertation and your dissertation advisor, just so we can get a sense of where you started in your scholarly career. Sure. Um, so I did my PhD at Michigan State University and studied pilot classrooms where teachers were using the Connected Mathematics Project. Mm -hmm. And about the time that I was doing my practicum, David Pym came to Michigan State, so he ended up being my advisor. Okay. Um, and the two teachers who I studied were people who were really good friends. They had worked together for a long time. They'd done a ton of the same professional development and were both huge advocates of CMP. Okay. But when I sat in their classrooms, their practice, the classroom felt very different to me and mm -hmm. I had not, I didn't have a way to capture what those differences were. What you were feeling. Yep. Yeah. And so I would, took a discourse, an intro to discourse analysis class and like every graduate class you have to write a paper. Mm -hmm. So I would, took a few excerpts from those two classrooms and was applying some of the tools and ideas from discourse analysis that mm -hmm. we were studying and finally found I had a way to articulate these differences that I felt. Okay. So it became very compelling to me because it gave me words and ideas to talk about things that I was feeling in the classroom to articulate those differences. So my dissertation ended up being a case are two case studies of these mm -hmm. two classrooms and some of their prevalent discourse practices mm -hmm. and then a comparison of the two um, and really, one of the things that it helped me articulate were sort of differences in authority mm -hmm. in the classroom and in terms of student agency. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, and some of these ideas that I'm hearing you talk about, you've obviously been continuing to work on them over many years now since then um, in developing your research program. You mentioned with that dissertation study, but was there also uh, some personal motivations um, and, and going back even to your teaching career before graduate school that led and have really sort of uh, fueled this fire that you've been able to have over several years working on classroom discourse? Yeah, actually, I think when I first started reading that literature, my initial reaction was, how could we not be including this stuff in teacher preparation for math teachers? Because we spend most of our time trying to communicate things to students. Mm -hmm. But for me, for example, my model of what one does with language as a teacher is you put vocabulary words on the board, kids copy them down, and then I just expected them to use them. And in reality, that's not the way people learn to use language at right. all. Right. So I think my initial motivation was like, People need to know about this, mm -hmm. and a lot of my motivation has been related to things that I really um, almost regret that I didn't know because I could have done a much better job teaching had I known some of the things mm -hmm. that I was exposed to in graduate school and continue thinking about. So it sounds like with your work, it's partially um, you know generating new knowledge about the discourse practices in classrooms and doing that research, but also you have this motivation to you know work with teachers, work uh, with pre-service teachers, and really kind of try to spread. Um, information about discourse practices and classroom discourse. So I, th I think it's both that, but I think it's also that it 
teachers bring knowledge to the group that I don't have because mm-hmm. I haven't been in a classroom in a while. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's more like, here's some things I've read. Help me think about what's useful to you and how it might help impact your practice. So it's more like Having a co-generated dial- And knowledge. a dialogue with teachers yeah. about these ideas. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really important to the work. So, and that brings us then right to uh, your current project and uh, one of your current projects and the project that the um, article comes from, which is um, the project entitled Mathematics Discourse in Secondary Classrooms, or MDISC for short. So can you just tell us a little bit about that specific project and what its goals are? Sure. So before I do that, I just want to recognize too that um, my co-PIs, Mike Steele and Michelle Cirillo, and Mm -hmm. then the the wonderful graduate students, students, (laughs) which you know very well. Uh Um, So the project itself is using things that I learned from a previous grant in a five-year collaboration with teachers in Iowa to to use artifacts of practice to develop and design professional development activities and experiences that other teachers can engage in. Mm -hmm. So um, secondary math teachers could become more purposeful in thinking about how to intentionally plan for powerful and productive classroom discourse. Mm So there's actually uh, there's a set of materials that will actually be a product that will yep. come. And where are you in the sort of timeline of the development? So this year um, we have an external pilot going on in two different sites, and we're doing revisions, and we're hoping next year these materials can go to press. Okay. So we're fairly, I mean, we've Far a few years into the design of the materials. Right. Okay. Um, so one of the centerpieces of the materials uh, are the uh, set of six teacher discourse moves um, and they they play one of the key roles in the materials um, and also they're a focus of, of the article in uh, that's coming in mathematics teacher educator so i was wondering if you could just uh, take us through those six teacher discourse moves and give us a sense of what those are sure so the six teacher discourse moves are really um, augmented versions of of chapin connor and michael's talk moves and so some, some of that will resonate with people who have read that work, but it's um, waiting, mm-hmm. inviting student participation, revoicing, asking students to revoice, mm-hmm. probing a student's thinking, and creating opportunities to engage with another's reasoning, or okay. sort of how we how we've phrased them. Okay, and so let's take each of those one at a time. So waiting, um, for instance. Yeah, so waiting people might recognize as the like the typical wait time, mm-hmm. but we really try to emphasize um, that it not only happens after a teacher asks a question, but the even more important wait time that didn't get the amount of press is waiting after a student responds. Mm-hmm. So a teacher may either pause or they may say something like, so let's take a few minutes to think about what Sam just said. Mm-hmm. So it's creating a space for them to make instructional decisions, but also for students to think more about what somebody says. Okay. And uh, so the next you mentioned was inviting student participation. So inviting student participation is a, a common thing where people, where a teacher might say, does anybody else have something else to say about that? So mm-hmm. it's trying to get, the goal of that is really to get more students involved in the discussion. Uh, in, yeah, inviting them to actually speak and engage in the classroom discourse actively. Yep. Next is revoicing, which is one that probably a lot of listeners have heard of, but can you still just say a little bit about revoicing? Sure. So revoicing is actually a three-part instructional move. So it's a student saying something, a teacher repeating or restating something the student says. to They might clarify it or something like that, but then saying back to the student, um, is that what you meant? Mm-hmm. Um, so it serves the purpose of sort of taking up a student's idea, 
um, putting the student in the position of a math as being a contributor to mathematical ideas. Mm -hmm. The check back move actually is a really important part of it, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say that in the materials we always emphasize that. Right. So you recognize, and it, it comes out, um, that role of the check back with the students as it's being revoiced, but you also looked at revoicing instances, or you work with teachers on revoicing instances where they are doing something and maybe not always checking back. Yeah. You're open to both. Uh, or, or there's ways of reflecting and thinking about both kinds of revoicing. Right. Um, even though, in a lot of cases, uh, it is very important to do that check back with the students. Exactly. Um, and now, another way in which students can be involved in revoicing is that the student could actually be prompted to revoice. And so you, this one actually is phrases asking students to revoice. So one of the things that we learned in the Iowa group is there was... Um, the teachers wanted to get away from this teacher-student, teacher-student, mm -hmm. what one of them called a ping-pong interaction mm -hmm. pattern. So one way to do that would be to be asking students to revoice another student. Mm -hmm. So it's a brief teacher turn that maybe eventually could be removed uh -huh. instead of the teacher doing the revoicing. And it really forces kids to listen to one another if they know that that's what an expectation is in the classroom. Setting that expectation can be an explicit move where a teacher will ask another student to revoice a previous student that had just spoken, but also it now might set up that uh, norm where then it becomes unspoken and a student can speak and then the other students will just know, maybe I should revoice it or maybe I should put it in my own words and they might yep. just start taking that initiative. Yep. Um, so the last two moves, uh, so there are uh, probing a student's thinking and creating opportunities to engage with another's reasoning. Can, uh, so can you sort of describe each of those? Sure. So probing a student's thinking um, could be both general, like can you say a little more about what you were just saying, mm -hmm. or it could be more specific, like could you say, tell me how this table relates to this graph. So it's trying to get kids to articulate further their ideas. Um, it might be first procedural, and then now can you tell me why that procedure works. Okay. So it's really getting them to articulate their thinking in clear ways so other kids can consider their ideas. Uh -huh. Really, a teacher really working to try to get that student to talk more, to say more, um, and so that... The, the, uh, when the student contributes more, that's now open for the other students to be hearing and also open for the teacher to be Formative getting more information about that yep. student's thinking. And, yeah. The last one, creating, uh, creating opportunities to engage with another's reasoning. So uh, that one now sounds a little bit more complicated. So what's going on with that move? And maybe a little more challenging of a move. Yeah, so I think this one actually we found connects really nicely with if people are familiar with the five practices with the mm -hmm. connecting practice. Because one of the things that creating opportunities to engage with another's reasoning does is requires people to set two ideas next to each other and actually consider similarities and differences or it may also be um, like I'm thinking about when you've got four different solutions on the board and you say let's try the third solution that mm -hmm. that Jamal did mm -hmm. and everybody uses that one so then mm -hmm. you have to take what you've done but think about it in another way right so it's it's almost like um, connecting ideas together in ways that maybe kids hadn't considered it before which seems to be of, among the six one of the most sort of cognitively challenging mm. things to be asking students to do not that the others aren't because when you ask a student to revoice that's happening but in a mm -hmm. little different way than or when you probe a student, that also, but but this last one, the creating opportunities, just it, it does seem to really uh, almost necessarily involve some sort of connection of ideas or some sort of pretty rich activity yeah. going on in the discourse. Yeah. So 
Uh, in the article, you talk about these six teacher discourse moves, you introduce them. Uh, you also talk a little bit about the development of the MDISC materials and how initially in previous drafts of the MDISC materials, there was a sort of an individual focus on um, articulating and reflecting on each of these practices on their own. Mm-hmm. But now you've shifted away from that in the, in the materials on more recent drafts. So can you say a little bit about that shift? Sure, yeah. Um, so I think through watching the data that we collected in Iowa and watching the teachers enact some of these um, teacher discourse moves, we actually realized that no one of them in isolation actually accomplishes as much as doing them in combination in very thoughtful ways. Mm-hmm. So rather than have a constellation on revoicing, we decided to highlight other things or make other things organizers mm-hmm. and talk more about how they work together to accomplish um, productive and powerful discourse for students. Mm-hmm. As And really, yeah, taking them as a set and how some of them can be used really effectively together, um, mm-hmm. yes, and maybe at different points in the lesson or for different purposes. Yeah, so getting, I mean, in some ways it's getting um, teachers to think about an exchange happening over a period of time and how I might probe, 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 revoice, probe, probe, ask a student to revoice, and that that combination of moves actually right. accomplishes way more than just thinking about my right. voicing. And or you might uh, probe, probe, probe. Then you might probe a different student, and now you might have an opportunity to you know create that opportunity yeah. to connect or yeah. to have the students engage with one another. Because exactly. yeah, so. So you also talk in the article, um, so I'm referring to uh, Developing Teacher Discourse Moves, a forthcoming article in the Mathematics Teacher Educator. Um, you talk about how the teacher discourse moves are really uh, important tools for teachers trying to um, purposefully have productive and powerful discourse in their classroom, um, but it's not really enough to just identify the, the teacher discourse moves or to just really focus on the teacher discourse moves themselves. There really needs to be an interpretation and some reflection on what's going on around the teacher discourse moves, what happens before, what happens after. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do you really uh, structure that reflection and that interpretation in the MDISC materials? Sure. So I think we decided that the teacher discourse moves are things that are identifiable for teachers, but that um, there needs to be sort of a consistent lens, as you're saying, mm-hmm. to sort of make sense of what's happening around them. And um, I would say that we ascribe to this broader notion of opportunities to learn that mm-hmm. people like M- Melissa Versalfi and Paul Cabo have written about, that learning mathematics is not just learning content, mm-hmm. it's actually also students learning to see themselves as knowers and doers of mathematics, so there's an identity development aspect that needs to be attended to also. Mm-hmm. And myself, and I'm not speaking for the whole project team, but to me, if that's not in place, then it doesn't matter what we're teaching kids. Mm-hmm. So we've sort of um, taken some concepts from discourse literature to talk about how productive the discourse is, and that idea comes from um, a woman named Pauline Gibbons who does work in Australian science education. And the idea is called the language spectrum. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the identity development, we've been using ideas from positioning but also the status and competence kind of work that comes out of the complex instruction. So Joe Boulder's work and Lisa Joke, mm-hmm. who was one of the teachers in Railside. Mm-hmm. Um, so whenever we have teachers stop and notice a teacher discourse move happening, then the question becomes, what seems to be happening here in terms of developing mathematical discourse practices, but then also what seems to be happening here in terms of student positioning? Uh-huh. Is there status stuff I need to attend to? Is there um, mm-hmm. co- Can I assign competence? Um, can I think about 
who is it that's doing the mathematical work? So there's authority and agency issues to consider. Mm -hmm. So those are sort of the two lenses that we have the teachers thinking about. Mm -hmm. um, and the language spectrum not only considers how one might develop sort of the mathematical register and mathematical discourse practices, but it also thinks considers how different contexts that children are put in or students are put in mm -hmm. shape the kind of language opportunities they have. So. Right. For example, when people work in small groups, mm -hmm. you may hear a lot of, oh, this goes over here and that goes there and there's pointing and there's a lot of assumptions being made about the amount of explicitness one needs to have because mm -hmm. you have a very common tight-knit experience. You might be looking at the exact same image on the page, so you, you kind of can now just refer to that image. Or, exactly. Or you might be gesturing to it and so you can just use the gesture and, and you don't have to speak it in, in the words in the same way because right. you do have that shared context. Yep. I mean, and really a teacher could be standing with their back to that group and not even know that they're talking about mathematics in some cases. Right. But if I then say, okay, let's pull the class back together and have a group report out, mm -hmm. now the rest of the class doesn't have the same intimate knowledge of that experience. Right. So the language becomes a little more explicit. They probably use more mathematical terminology. Um, there's probably less gesturing unless there's an image on the board that they're allowed to go up and point to. Mm -hmm. So it sort of makes a shift in terms of, of um, explicitness, in terms of description of, of what happened, mm -hmm. um, in terms of the amount of vocabulary that's being used because they're communicating to a little less intimate audience. Right. And then uh, after that, you uh, mentioned too in the materials about... Uh, there's also then the written language, and, yeah. and MDISC is not just about spoken language in the classroom. You also go to written mathematical language and written language from students, Yeah. Uh, and, and the context there is also a little bit different. Right. So then the other two sort of communication contexts, in addition to small group and whole class report out, mm -hmm. that we have the teachers consider is when students write their own solutions and how, again, the audience is once more removed, so there's other things that become more... I guess I would say mathematically precise about being writing their own solution, but then if they have to read a textbook, that's probably the closest we get to sort of the math register in mm -hmm. a classroom. So that mm -hmm. becomes, again, um, way more mathematical, way more density in the language, so right. more sophisticated mathematical constructions. There's mm -hmm. more symbols. You can say a lot of math in a very small amount of space. Mm -hmm. You start to get logical arguments and yep. yeah, different use of language in that way. Yeah, so so for example, in the small group and the and the whole class reporting out, people might say, well, we did this and then we did this. But when you have to write it, it's if this is the case, then this is the case. Mm -hmm. And you have your a different language and, structure. Yeah. yeah. So it be becomes a different kind of structure to the text than there is in the small group and the whole class. Okay. And now... In, for instance, the small group context and the whole class context, uh, the teacher discourse moves can play a role in both of those. And if you see an instance of teacher discourse moves or if you're working with teachers and looking at instances of, the, of those teacher discourse moves, you can then also bring this lens of, yeah, what is the communication context? What kinds of language demands are there? What, what are the ways that the language is being used? Mm -hmm. um, and you also mentioned as your other lens, you mentioned positioning and the ideas of status and authority. So I was wondering if you wanted to say a little bit more about that lens as well and, and what that looks like to bring that lens. Yeah, so um, one of the things we have the teachers do is when they work on a task, we then talk about what kinds of status stuff might be playing out in their own group. It, this is in the teachers. In the teachers. As yeah. they're working in the PD, yep. their own status issues. Are yep. There. Okay. And then we also talk about what kinds of ways 
did this task shape your participation? Mm. And then we take those same kinds of questions to looking at the video and we think about like who's participating, in what ways, what kinds of evidence do you see of status, where might the teacher have assigned competence? Mm. So then we're hoping that once they've talked about it themselves and they've seen it and talked about it in videos that we can then have them reflect more in their own, in their own classroom. Mm -hmm. And actually, I should say that it's not just about interpersonal positioning, but it's also positioning of the practice of mathematics. Oh, okay. So thinking about what kinds of things am I engaging kids in? Like if I said mm -hmm. to kids, what, what does it mean to know and do mathematics in this classroom? Mm -hmm. what, do, what would I wish kids would say? Mm -hmm. Would I wish they would say it's practicing the same kind of equation over and over again? Would I wish they would say, oh, I have to think a lot when I do mathematics? Mm -hmm. Would I want them to say I have to argue? So thinking about how those practices actually shape and define what mathematics is mm -hmm. and then how one sees themselves with respect to those ideas, mm -hmm. to those practices. So how is mathematics positioned and how am I as an individual positioned with respect to mathematics and exactly. with respect to the, yeah, okay. Yep. Um, so you mentioned that you're several years into the project um, and so you have been working with teachers from different school districts and, and piloting the MDISC professional development materials. Um, and so. What have you been seeing uh, from the teachers as they've been either you know, taking these ideas into their own classroom or as the teachers have been talking to you about what they're getting from the materials so far? Um, so I think, I mean, I think one of the things that stands out the most is a lot of them feel like this is a completely different way to think about their practice. Mm. And I think they appreciate having a different set of ideas to be able to talk together about their practice. Mm -hmm. um, so for example, I think Having, be, coming to have a more nuanced understanding of the ways in which the math register requires one to use language mm -hmm. is a por an, an important component. Um, for example, in um, an article that we're currently working on, <laughs> there's a um, we were feeling like in the first round of pilot that mm -hmm. all, that the teachers only talked about mathematical vocabulary. Right. But looking across the data, they actually got much more nuanced than what we had recognized in the PD, mm -hmm. but then using that information to build potential places for them to recognize other characteristics. So not only are we finding things, but we're trying to feed that back into revisions of the materials. Mm -hmm. So I think like them noticing the fact that pronouns go away as mm -hmm. you get more precise in your math writing. Mm -hmm. um, these more logical connectors are expected, not the I did this and I did this. So some of it is sort of um, shifting nuance in terms of how one uses language to communicate. One is um, understanding now that context actually shapes the kind of language students use. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them are like, that seems so obvious now, but it isn't something I thought about as much before. Just to be aware of those different language demands in, the, in small groups versus whole class versus written mathematics and, and just recognizing that those are different contexts for communication. Yeah, and the fact that they can be purposeful about which ones they choose and why mm -hmm. to try to help push kids along in terms of using mathematical discourse. Right. So it, it sounds like some themes that are kind of emerging are uh, the theme of teachers seeing their practice in a new way and sort of, uh, you know, if a lot of the times they're thinking about, you know, what standard am I teaching? Uh, what activity do I have planned for the day? How far do I want to get? What homework am I going to assign? Um, and I, I don't mean to oversimplify it because there's a lot more that goes into it than that. But now there is this kind of new perspective on it, which is that, you know, what language are students using and what ways am I as a teacher promoting that language in purposeful ways? Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, it might also be a new 
uh, perspective to really be looking at those status and authority and positioning issues that you mentioned from that lens. Yeah, well, and one of the things that mm-hmm. I actually that I wanted to tell you about this because mm-hmm. um, so last year when we did it, the internal pilot, so it was all the writing team piloting. Mm-hmm. Um, we felt like we didn't quite accomplish what we wanted to in terms of of how the study groups were talking about positioning. So we've been right. very strategic this year, and we now have a an additional reading that's just about positioning. Mm-hmm. And um, last week in one of the pilot sessions, when they opened it up for discussion, the first teacher who spoke said, I'm 50 years old and I've been teaching for a long time. Mm-hmm. This is a total paradigm shift. Mm. Like These are things that I, like, I can't believe we haven't been talking about. Wow. And it was like this really amazing set of reflections on the reading. Mm. And in the written responses at the end of the session, almost every single participant voice something about positioning that they wished they had thought about or were now going to be thinking about and mm. doing because of that reading. Wow. So, so, it, so some sh- in terms of, you know, I asked that question about, you know, what you're seeing in teachers, it sounds like in, in the current pilot that's going on right now, you might be seeing some new things with respect to positioning than you did in the past because you've sort of reorganized yep. um, how you're approaching and articulating that lens of positioning. Yeah, which I think really highlights like how important this kind of design process is Mm -hmm. where we're able to enact it and then revise it and then Mm -hmm. enact it and revise it so it gets so so the experiences are of the kind that we would hope Mm -hmm. they would we would be able to facilitate right and so this project the MDISC project uh, it obviously has this uh, outcome of the materials themselves Um, but of course you're you're a researcher and you know the other PIs that you mentioned are researchers as well so um, there's also some research uh, slices being taken and some research questions that are being asked and using the MDISC pilot data or the MDISC uh, project to try to answer those research questions. So it sounds like one in the future might be about this, this, these positioning ideas and how those are playing out and what it was that supported. But are there other uh, research efforts that you're undertaking as part of the MDISC project as well that you want to mention? Yeah, so we are, um, we are following the a subset of the group from last year and, okay. and engaging in modified lesson study to see how the what these ideas might look like as teachers try to revise activities that they currently <coughs> use to try to um, be more purposeful about their discourse practices. So we want to follow that through to see what they continue to learn and what actually makes it into their practice. Into practice, okay. Um, but I think also... Um, revisiting so we're doing an analysis like I said right mm-hmm. now about how the teachers talk about math register over time mm-hmm. seeing if the revisions to especially the positioning part because mm-hmm. I think that's actually shifted quite a bit between last year and this year mm-hmm. um, how it impacts the ways that these teachers talk about their practice and their students mm-hmm. so those are a couple right. Um, well, I could talk all day about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we uh, don't have time for that, but we'll look for it in the future. Um, and uh, as of right now, uh, people can look for uh, the forthcoming article. Um, I've been speaking with Beth Herbalizeman, and the article is Developing Teacher Discourse Moves, a Framework for Professional Development. And it's in the new online journal that's uh, a joint publication of the National Council of Teachers Mathematics and uh, Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators. Uh, before you go, though, I want to ask one more thing. Uh, and to step aside from math ed and from all the business of MDISC and uh, classroom discourse, um, but if you could just imagine uh, your life without math education, if you weren't doing math education for your career, what, what do you see yourself doing? So I kind of have two that I've actually toyed with, and one is to have a nonprofit that would be um, located 
I guess for me it would be in the Lansing area that would provide support for um, students who are in the schools who might need additional, hmm. I mean, it's not void of math ed, but it's, right. it's um, would provide an opportunity for tutoring and partner with Michigan State. And then the other thing would probably, the other thing that I've toyed with is having a bed and breakfast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> do you have a particular part of the country that would really uh, appeal to you or is it just the idea of the bed and breakfast? Just the idea of having like interesting people drop in at my house for uh -huh. a weekend and having food and talking about what they're interested in and what they do. That sounds great. Uh, so my guest has been Beth Herbel-Eisenman uh, from Michigan State University. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thank you so much. It was a pleasure.